Well, thank you, Pastor Troy, for your leadership in those areas. And thank you um, to all of you for your generosity uh, toward this church and the work of the Lord. Uh, I want to say good morning and happy new year once again. And if you have a Bible with you, go ahead and grab that. We'll be in 1 Peter chapter 5 this morning. Uh, for those of you here in the room, we know many, many of you are joining us online for various reasons this morning. I want to welcome you. Glad you are with us and look forward to working through this passage together. Uh, for the last two years, really since January of 2020, if you can remember all the way back to that, uh, the Lord has just been pressing on my heart two words that are found over and over and over again in the scriptures. And those two words are the words you'll see on screen here. It's the words, humble yourself. And I've been thinking deeply and just pondering these words, and the Lord has been really convicting me on what this means in the context of my life and in the context of ministry here, in the context of my family and our church and our nation. And here's what I'm convinced of this morning. As we do a little bit of an extended reflection on these words found in 1 Peter 5, as we think about what these words mean, I'm convinced that for every single person hearing the sound of my voice, whether you're in this room or you're online right now, that if you would think about, consider, and most importantly, act upon these two words, this command to humble yourself in the scriptures, that this might just be what God uses to break through whatever's keeping you back right now. I think as we enter a new year, almost all of us know we're here and we want to be over there. And there feels like a barrier in your personal life or in your family. Maybe it's even in your business or your education. There's something going on in your church life or in this world. And I believe the answer for all of us begins with this simple yet powerful and profound command in the Bible to humble ourselves. So that's what we're going to look at today. I want us to consider this deeply out of 1 Peter chapter 5. Again, if you have your Bible, I want you to turn there so you see this out of the text. We'll start in verse 5. For those of you who don't have it, it'll be on the screen. It says this, all of you, and whenever the Bible uses all of you, the Greek there means all of you, <laughs> clothe yourself with humility toward one another. So we begin this morning with a command that applies not just to some of us or not just particular people, but every single person hearing my voice that you are called to clothe yourself with humility toward one another. And so as we begin to consider humility this morning, as we begin to consider what it means to humble ourselves, what Peter does is he starts us in a very natural and important place, and that's to remind us that we must clothe ourselves. This is the metaphor, the image he gives us, that we're supposed to put on humility in the same way that we put on clothing every morning. And the reason we need to put on humility, just like we put on clothing every morning, is because of a simple fact, and here's the way I want to start this morning, that you start most days thinking about your favorite subject. Now, you may think your favorite subject is the football games that are going on today, or politics, or your business, or perhaps you feel better about yourself that you say your favorite subject is your family. But if most of us are honest, and we're going to do an honesty moment here in church, you start most of your days thinking about your favorite subject, and what is your favorite subject? You, it's you. I wake up in the morning and this is true of me. I think, how did I sleep last night? And how do I feel? And I look in the mirror and I go, how did I look like that, right? I, I think about what I'm gonna eat for breakfast and what's on my calendar. And even if my kids are bothering me or if my wife needs something, I'm thinking about that in relation to my favorite subject, me. Can we just confess this morning that the default setting of the human heart is to think about ourselves, the default setting you wake up with every single morning of your life is to be self-centered, to have the world orbit around you. And that's why I love the metaphor that Paul chooses to use here. See, notice he doesn't say, be humble. He says, clothe yourself with humility. Like, in other words, the metaphor is just like clothing. You think about it. 
you didn't get dressed 25 years ago and you've been set for life, right? This is a thing you have to do over and over and over again, a daily activity every single morning when you wake up. And it's the same for humility. The assumption the Bible makes is that you are going to wake up in the morning thinking about you and your plans and your stresses and your thoughts and your feelings and your emotions and your energy levels. And what we're going to do if we're going to be a people who live in love like Jesus is we're going to have to break out of that default factory setting we seem to have inside of us where we want to think about us and clothe ourselves with humility, to get outside of ourselves and to think of other people. This is the core of what humility is. So see, too often when the conversation about humility comes up, it seems to be a conversation about how do you make sure you don't self-promote and not not be too big for your britches and not be too big for yourself and just kind of how do you shrink yourself down? But this is not what humility actually is. Humility is not you trying to deny or tamp down the God-given gifts you have or the ability or the platform or the influence God has given you. Humility, clothing yourself in humility, is about waking up every single morning and recognizing my temptation today is to think solely about me, and I need to get out of that. C.S. Lewis says it famously this way. He says, do not imagine that if you met a really humble man, he would be what most people call humble nowadays. He would not be that sort of greasy, smarmy person who's always telling you that, of course, he is nobody. Probably all you would think of him is that he seemed a cheerful, intelligent chap who took a real interest in what you had to say to him. If you do dislike him, it'll be because you feel a little envious of anyone who seems to enjoy life so easily. He will not be thinking about humility. He will not be thinking about himself at all. Again, what is our default setting? When you woke up this morning, Sunday morning, your default setting was you, to think about you, to talk about you, to feel about you, to consider you. And what does humility look like? What's he describing here? Not someone who just pretends they're not that great and shrinks back from the world, but rather someone who is genuinely fascinated and interested in other people. I know I am walking in humility when I find myself asking more questions and talking less. I know I've woken up and put on humility. I've clothed myself with it when I interact with people and I'm less interested in telling them what I think about what's going on and more interested in listening more interested in what's actually going on in their life. Curiosity is this, this, this um, it's an identifying marker of what it means to be someone who's humble. And you know this in your life. You know the people in your life that every time you get around, they seem to be actually fascinated with your life and your family and your job and your school and everything that you do. Those people, without you even realizing it, are the most humble people in your life because they've not settled around their default setting, which is to think about themselves. They've oriented themselves toward you and so clothed themselves in humility. Again, C.S. Lewis says it succinctly. He says, humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. We begin with the command that we are to clothe ourselves every single morning with humility because our default setting is to think about ourselves. And then it goes on to explain why in the back half of the verse it says, because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. This is a phrase, a sentence you'll see throughout the scripture. We see it first in Proverbs chapter three that God opposes the proud and shows favor to the humble. This is one of those sentences in scripture that I think gets us close to a spiritual law that God has woven into the universe as any other scripture. You think about the natural and physical laws that God has built into the universe. For example, if I hold out this pen right here, When we talk about the law of gravity, every single person in this room knows what happens when I drop this pen, right? Like like we all know what's about to go down. Down. Uh, 
No one in this room thought, that's surprising. And no one in this room, as I pick up this pen once more, thinks if I drop it again, it might just float to the ceiling or speed out and stab you in the eye. No one thinks that. And why don't we think that? Because gravity is predictable. It's a physical law of the universe. Every single time I drop this pen, I could do it a thousand times, and a thousand times it'll fall straight to the floor. There's no exceptions. We anticipate it. We build that into the way we think about life. Can I tell you that there is a spiritual law in this universe, and it's this one? There are no exceptions. This should be built into the way we think about life. We should never tempt this law because this is exactly how God has woven into the fabric of the universe. These two statements, that God opposes the proud, but he shows favor to the humble. And I'm convinced that for every single person here or online this morning, that if we would start to internalize this truth, this spiritual law of the universe that God has baked into the very existence of our being, it would change things for us in 2022. Well, like, let me break it down in two ways. It says that God opposes the proud. This is the first statement here. God opposes the proud. And I want you to know that if you are puffed up and self-sufficient, if you don't think you need God and you don't think you need other people, if you've got this thing on your own, the scriptures make entirely clear that God is in opposition to you. Let me give you a few examples to make this pretty clear this morning. I'll give you five. Let me start with this one. It's the lonely individual. The lonely individual who is too proud to join a small group. What happens all the time in pastoral ministry here is I run into people who are lonely. And I get it. It can be a tough time, and especially in the last couple of years, you're so lonely and it's difficult. And I tell them, I've got great news for you. We have small groups. We have ministry teams. We have classes. We have Bible studies. We have wonderful opportunities for you to plug in and not be lonely anymore. In fact, there are times I think to myself, there's a lonely person there and there and there. We can make 20 small groups of lonely people all coming together. We have so many opportunities. And I talk to people who are lonely and they're hurting and they're aching. But then there's this catch in their spirit where they know that they're lonely, but they don't want to admit it to someone else. And what's really beneath that is they don't want to admit that they actually need anyone at all. And for the person who is too proud, too puffed up, too self-sufficient to admit that they actually need community, that they actually need other people in order to live out this life God's called them toward, they should have no expectation that that's going to get better. Why? Because God opposes the proud. If you're walking in loneliness right now, if you're just aching for community, there's opportunities coming out of your ears here. Like this is the perfect Sunday in the lobby or online. We have the opportunity to connect with our small group people. But again, that only happens when you lay down that pride and self-sufficiency that says I can do this on my own. Let me give you another example. The prayerless Christian who's too proud to seek God's will. This happens to us. Maybe this happens to you from time to time. I'll share for me, this happens more often than I'd like to admit. Even even in this last week here, between Christmas and New Year's, there were times I got up in the morning and I made breakfast for my kids. I was hanging out with my family. I was doing all the things I had to do. I wasn't doing anything wicked or terrible or awful, but I noticed when I got to around lunchtime, I really hadn't sat down and spent time in prayer. Like I had gone an entire morning and not once turned to the Lord in prayer. And, And maybe that's never happened for you, but that happens for me more than I'd like to admit. And can we just confess that that's incredibly arrogant of me and of all of us? To think we can do this life that God has called us toward without seeking him in prayer? To think that we can just roll through our day or our week and never turn to him in prayer? That is just a kind of arrogance and self-sufficiency that I don't want to walk in. And the person who calls themselves a Christian and yet is prayerless 
does not seek the Lord should not expect God's wisdom and guidance and blessing in their life. Why? Because God opposes the proud. Let me give you a third example. I want to talk about the addicted person who's too proud to admit they need help. I'm just convinced in in a room this size with those online, um, there are people listening right now who know something's become a problem. Whether it is alcohol or drugs or internet gambling or pornography, whatever it is in your life, it's become a problem. And here's what we all know. Until you have the humility to admit, this is a problem, I can't handle it on my own, I do not have this thing, I cannot beat this thing on my own, things will never get better. It will never improve in your life. Until you confess that it is a problem, you need help, and you admit it to someone else, and you seek to submit yourself to a plan to help you become free. The addicted person who's too proud to confess they need help should not expect that addiction to get better on its own, because God opposes the proud. Let me talk about another subject, the estranged parent who's too proud to apologize to their child. Maybe you know a mom or a dad or a grandma or a grandpa who does this. There's some problem that happened and it's so obvious that if they would just apologize and own it before their kids, things could get better. And yet they won't do it because they're proud and their kid did something wrong too. And so they need to apologize first. And I've just seen this so many times, too many times in fact, where there is a parent who if they would just own their sin to their child, say, I messed up, I I spoke over the line, I said too much, I was too critical, I messed up, can you forgive me? How can I make things right? But the parent who will not do that because they're too proud, who will not do that because they don't want to admit they're weak to their child, should not expect that relationship to get better because God opposes the proud. This is baked into every part of our existence. Final example, the overwhelmed spouse who's too proud to admit they're struggling. The overwhelmed husband or wife who's too proud to admit their problem to their wife or their husband. The the overwhelmed spouse who just says things are so heavy and yet years ago they stopped sharing their struggles with their spouse because they want to look strong or they don't want to bother them but everything's just crushing you right now and it is just too much for you to handle. Again, there is something where you can lay down your pride and your self-sufficiency, your puffed up strong, I've got this nature. You can lay that down and confess that you're struggling. But there are so many spouses, so many couples, where you just won't admit that you need help. And why won't it get get better? Because this is baked into the laws of the universe, that God opposes the proud. It's woven into the fabric of every part of your life. When you think of pride, don't think of self-promotion or how you make yourself look good. Think about the self-sufficiency, the strength you think you have where you don't need God and you don't need anyone else. The scriptures say it makes a promise to us that God opposes the proud. But then what's the second part? It says that God shows favor to the humble. He shows favor to the humble. And I want us to think about that when we humble ourselves, when we lay down our self-sufficiency, this arrogance that says we can do this on our own, God's favor is upon our lives. Like just stop and think about that for a moment. Does anyone in this room want God's favor over their life? God's favor over their family? God's favor over everything in their existence. Do you want that? The scriptures say that God shows his favor to those who would humble themselves. So I think of the weary Christian, the weary Christian who reads their Bible every morning. Like we talked about prayer. We also talk about the scriptures, right? And you think about it this way, like God has given us his word. He's told us what he wants from our lives. We don't have to wonder. We don't have to guess. We can read it in a book. God has given us the scriptures, And yet the arrogance for so many of us so often is we go through life barely glancing at what God has given us. 
It's like this. Um, Every dad in the room, I think, will understand this intuitively. Um, Christmas just passed, and with Christmas comes Christmas presents, and Christmas presents for kids often come with a little note on the bottom, and some of you will recognize this, some assembly required, right? And and so so what often happens is I get handed the box and told, um, be the assembly required guy, and I open up the box, and I pull out the instruction manual, and every father in this room will know the answer to this question, do I read the instruction manual? No, never. Now you don't read it and you just start putting it together. You're like, I got this thing. And then here's what happens. I put together a bike for my child and there's like three screws and two bolts that haven't made it into the bike. And you're like, oh, I should have read the instruction manual. Because how arrogant is it of me to be like, I know how to put together bikes, right? And yet what's more arrogant is us thinking we don't need the word of God. That God's given us his word. God's like, here's how I want you to live. Here's who I am. Here's what the world is all about. And you go, thanks, God, but I'm going to do this thing on my own. What's the opposite of that? The opposite of that is this weird Christian who wakes up every morning and just says, Lord, I'm going to read your word. I'm going to try to understand it. I'm going to try to understand what you want from me. I'm going to pray. I'm going to seek you in prayer. I'm going to seek your guidance. And here's the question. Do you believe God's favor and blessing is going to be upon this person? The answer is absolutely. Why? Because God shows favor to the humble. Let me give you another example. Let's talk about the cheerful giver who generously gives to meet needs. The cheerful giver understands that the most arrogant way to handle your money is to believe that all money that comes into my wallet or my bank account is for me and mine and no one else. There is an arrogance to that that says, I am the only one who this money should be spent on. But there is a humility towards so many of you, as we even talked about our Christmas offering, who say, my money is not just for me, but I'm going to give it for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of the church, for the sake of the poor, for the sake of the people who are hurting in this community. And when we give that way, Should we expect God's blessing and his favor upon us? Yes. Why? Because God shows favor to the humble. Let me talk about the stressed out couple, the stressed out married couple who asked for help managing their finances. Here's what I know in January. For some of you, December was stressful financially. And for others of you, you put everything on a credit card, so January is stressful for you financially. (laughs) And, And here's what I know. There's stressed out moments, but then for some of you, it's been stressed out years or decades, and it's always been a problem, and you've never really had things together, but you're just too proud to ask for help. You're too proud to ask for someone to come in, or be an advisor, or mentor you, or help you, or just read a book, or watch a seminar, and get someone to help you out with that. But what's the other side of that? It's the person who humbles themselves and says, we haven't figured out money as a family. We're stressed out all the time. We're fighting constantly about that, so we're going to seek out help from someone else. And do we believe God's favor and blessing would be upon that person in this new year? Absolutely. Why? Because God shows favor to the humble. Let me talk about the faithful saint who serves every week in our children's ministry. There are people here who serve week in and week out with fourth graders or second graders, or for that matter, 12th graders or eighth graders or two-year-olds or anywhere in our church. They serve week in and week out. They're not looking for fame or recognition. They're not looking for a plaque on the wall. They're just submitting themselves to a system, to a leadership, to a ministry, saying, let me help, let me serve. My time and my talents aren't all about me. They're about someone else, even someone who won't really be able to recognize all that's being done for them. And here's the question. Do we believe God blesses faithful saints like this? Yes, why? Because he shows favor to the humble. Finally, let me talk about the loving parent who prays over their child every night. I don't think I have to convince you of this one. Parents, we, I just don't think there's any parents in the room who are like, I got this thing. Parenting, easy. Easiest thing I've ever done, right? None of us think we got this thing because we don't got this thing. 
It is hard. It is difficult. And the moment you think parenting is going great, you just get sideswiped by something you didn't see coming at all. And so what's the arrogant approach? The arrogant, puffed-up, self-sufficient approach is I've got this. These are my kids. I know exactly what I'm doing. But what's the humble approach? It is to get on your knees every night when your kids go to bed and pray over them and believe God's favor and his blessing and his protection and his salvation over your kids, whether they're two years old or whether they're 40 years old. What do we want to be? We want to be the type of people who humble ourselves, who walk in humility because God opposes the proud, but he gives favor. He gives us grace to the humble that is woven into the fabric of the universe. And every single area of your life is touched by the spiritual law. There is no place it doesn't work. There is no place it doesn't apply. In every single area of your life where you feel stuck or frustrated or overwhelmed, somewhere in there, you can look for a place to humble yourself rather than be puffed up with a self-sufficient and arrogant pride that says, I've got this thing on my own. And he goes on then in verse six and says this, Humble yourself, therefore, under God's mighty hand. The idea is that God's hand, his outstretched hand, is what saves his people. If you remember the Exodus story at all, it says that God stretches out his hand and redeems his people from Egypt. It's God's mighty hand that rescues and redeems his people from trouble and from sin and from slavery and bondage. It is God's hand that rescues his people. And how do we experience that God's mighty hand What we're told in verse six is so important. It's not that we are called to be humble. What does it say? Humble yourselves. We are not called to be humble in this moment. We're called to humble ourselves. And here's the distinction. I think for so many people, humility is a kind of emotion they feel. It's something they sense inside of themselves. It's an approach or an attitude toward life. But that's not what's being talked about here in this text. In other words, let me put it this way, that humbling yourself is not an emotion. It's not something you feel. It's not something you sense. It's not even primarily an attitude toward life. Listen, humbling yourself is not an emotion. Humbling yourself is a decision. It's something you decide to do. It is something you elect to do. It's a choice you make. To humble myself is to choose not to walk in pride and arrogance and self-sufficiency. To humble myself is to admit that I need God's help, and it is to admit that I might just need the help of other people in my world. When I humble myself, what I make myself feel is small, weak, dependent, vulnerable, and helpless. Humbling myself is making a choice to feel, I'll read that again, small, weak, dependent, vulnerable, and helpless. And I read that list and some of you cringe Because some of you do not want to be described as small, weak, dependent, vulnerable, and helpless. And the reason I know this is because the last thing I want to ever feel is small, weak, dependent, vulnerable, and helpless. I want to feel strong, competent, professional, put together. I want to give off and I want to be the type of person who's always got it together and never needs your help and doesn't need God's help. In my worst moments, that's me. And I think for some of you, you would recognize that in your worst moments, that's you. This self-sufficiency, this arrogance that says, I've got this thing, and no one needs to tell me what to do, even God himself. But to humble myself is a decision to be small, to feel weak, to be dependent and vulnerable and helpless. And if this bothers you, let me remind us all of something this morning, that your salvation started with you humbling yourself. 
If you are saved, if you are a child of God, if you know Jesus and walk with him, if you've been forgiven of your sins, it began with you humbling yourself. It began with you recognizing that you had fallen away from God, that you had gone your own direction, you had walked in your sin and wickedness, and there was no way for you to make yourself right with God. You humbled yourself. And what happened was you recognized, I can't earn my way back to God. I can't earn my salvation. I can't forgive my own sin. And so because I am so insufficient, I need to humble myself before God and ask for his forgiveness, ask for his mercy, to ask that he would save me. That's the story of the gospel. The story of the gospel is not that we earn our way back to God. Uh, Like if you're here and you're not a Christian, The story of the gospel and the story of the Christian faith and the central teaching we have isn't try hard enough and God will forgive you. That's not what we believe. Maybe you're in here and you haven't been to church in a long time or you're just kind of tuning in and it's been a long time since you've done anything with God. Can I just remind you that the story of the Christian faith isn't try harder and God will save you. The story of the Christian faith is that Jesus Christ came into this world to save sinners like us. He comes and rescues us. And the way he does so is by living and dying and bleeding on the cross to pay for our sins and our salvation so that when I cry out to Jesus to save me, it is an act of humbling myself before him that he might raise me up in salvation. To anyone who's saved, that's what happened for you. And to anyone who's not saved, maybe you're not sure what to do with God. Maybe you have thought your whole life that you need to earn your way back to God or earn your salvation. I just want to give you good news today. God has already done everything necessary in order for you to be saved. And the way you receive that salvation is by humbling yourself and calling on the name of the Lord. You can do that right in your living room, right wherever you sit today. If today's the day you're calling on the name of the Lord saying, I can't do it on my own, but I need God to save me through the mercy of Christ. I want to encourage you to text Jesus to the number you see here on the screen. Someone on our team will reach out to you and just help you understand how to take further steps forward as you humble yourself before the Lord, as you submit your life to him, and most importantly, as you declare in your salvation that you cannot save yourself, only God can save you. And then to those of you who are saved, listen, your salvation, your justification came when you humbled yourself before Jesus. But do you know that your sanctification, your becoming more like Jesus until the day you die to go be with Jesus, that comes through you humbling yourself over and over as well? It comes from us choosing to look small and weak and helpless. It's us choosing to not be proud and puffed up and self-sufficient. And so here's what I want to do this morning. Um, I want to try to give you 10 very practical ways you can humble yourself this year. Again, humbling yourself is not an emotion you feel. It is an action you do. It's a decision you make. My goal is not to have everyone walk out of this service going, we should be a little more humble. It is to have you walk out of the service and make a choice to humble yourself in a specific way as we begin 2022. So here's the invitation for us. 10 ways to humble yourself in 2022. Here's number one, and we've talked about it a little already. It's that you would join a small group and confess your need for community. Uh, Again, we've mentioned that there are are, are groups are are gathering and people are starting to connect. You can go in the lobby and talk to someone. You can go online and get more information about that. But as we go into 2022, if you are feeling lonely, the best thing you can do to humble yourself is acknowledge it, that you need other people. And I know we live in this weird modern 2022 age where it's like all you needed is an internet connection and electricity and you're good. But that's not true. You need other people. Can we just declare that as a church? We need each other. We need other people. We can't do it alone. And for some of you, the act of humbling yourself will begin in 2022 with you saying, I need a small group. And I know people are messy and I might not connect right away. And I know it might be hard or inconvenient to my schedule, but I'm so desperate for people that I'm willing to join a group. Join a group here in 2022. That might be the first way of humbling yourself. 
Number two, and we've mentioned this, is admit that your addiction has become a problem and seek help. Maybe famously you know the 12 steps of uh, different 12-step recovery programs, and you'll hear, hear the first step summarized this way. The first step is admitting you have a problem. Here's how it actually is said in the AA handbook. It says this. It says, we admitted that we were powerless over alcohol and that our lives had become unmanageable. I love that humbling statement, that we are powerless over alcohol, that we are small. It has power over us. We are weak. We are not strong enough. This isn't just that we drank too much. It's that we're powerless and that our lives have become unmanageable. Once again, if you're walking in an addiction to alcohol, to drugs, to online gambling, to internet pornography, I just want to encourage that this would be the year you admit it's a problem and you seek out help. You get to counseling, you get to a recovery group, you tell someone in your life, you find someone who can help you out, you drag it into the light, you humble yourself this year that you might see God raise you up because God opposes the proud but gives favor to the humble. Number three, I want to encourage you to own your sin in detail to your spouse and ask for forgiveness. The best marriages, the long-lasting marriages, the healthiest marriages are the types of marriages with two people who humble themselves often, who confess where they fell short, who say, I forgive you, who say, I'm sorry. That happens a lot in the best marriages that make it. And the worst marriages are full of spouses who do not humble themselves, who never admit that they were wrong, who never admit that they hurt the other person's feelings or let them down or wounded them in some way. As we go into this next year, can I just encourage you as we come out of the holiday season and all that happened with your family and all this, and if you are married, maybe just start with the assumption that it's possible that you wounded your spouse. And then here's what I've said here. Own your sin in detail. Because here's how I know I've not really humbled myself before my wife. When I say things like, yeah, I guess you were hurt and I'm sorry that hurt your feelings. That's vague. That's easy to get out of. Well, sorry I let you down. I'm not perfect. No one is. <laughs> that is not me humbling myself. Here's me humbling myself. Hey, um, babe, I'm really sorry. I was selfish. I went and took that phone call. I went and did that thing. It left you alone with the kids. You probably felt stressed out and overwhelmed. You were tired already. I need to own that before you. Will you forgive me? I'm going to try to do better. That's detail. That's what we want to do. That's what humbling ourselves looks like. And if you are married coming into this new year, can I encourage you to own your sin in detail before your spouse? Listen, your spouse already knows you're a sinner. You can just say it out loud. It'll free you from this thing you have where you think you're perfect. Number four, apologize to your children for something you said or did. Now listen, I understand that apologizing to your children can feel like one of the most difficult things out there because we gave them life, we've given them everything, we've done all these things, and then we mess up one time and we feel like we have to apologize to them. But there are people who will never apologize to their children. And if that's you, I want you to know that you're actually teaching your children two things. If you never apologize to your kids, the first thing you are trying to teach them inadvertently without even trying is that you are not in fact a sinner, that you're perfect, that you have never messed up and have no need to apologize. That's the first thing you're teaching them. And none of us as parents actually believes that. But if we never confess and apologize to our children, we're kind of sending this message that I have nothing to apologize for. But then the second and more insidious thing you're sending that way is your kids know you're a sinner. They know you've fallen short. They know you don't always do things perfectly, but when you never apologize to them, what you're inadvertently teaching them is the best thing to do with your sin is to conceal and not own it. And what do we want our kids to do? We want them to own their sin, recognize when they fall short, apologize, repent of it, and move on. That's what we want from our children. 
So we've got to model that for them. If you've got young kids like me, like, listen, I got out of a four-year-old, I got a one-year-old, and I've got a player to be named later due in March, okay? That, that, that's what I got. And, and, and the younger two aren't really fully going to get it, but I can tell you my four-year-old does. But why do I do it? I'm trying to work that muscle in me where I say, Daddy, sorry, I messed up. Can you forgive me? I'm sorry I was short with you. I'm sorry I didn't get that thing for you. I'm sorry I was on my phone not paying attention in case anyone else ever struggles with that. We apologize to our kids. And that's what we want to do. It's true for young kids. And then listen, it's true for your grown kids. If you had them over for Christmas or had them over for Thanksgiving and there was a rough moment at the table or around the couches watching the game, if there was a tense moment with your kids or with the spouses of your kids, humble yourself. Own it. Apologize to them. Listen, I'm not promising that you apologize to them and the relationship is fully healed. I can just assure you if you never apologize to them, the relationship can never heal. Parents and children are not on an equal level of power. Parents, you sit in the seat of authority, even if your kids are grown. And if you will not humble yourself and apologize, you should not anticipate things getting better. What do we want to do in 2021? We want to humble ourselves. Apologize to your children for something you said or you did. Do it today. Text them while you're in the service. Call them on the way home today. See them face to face and just say, hey, I have a check in my spirit about something I said over Christmas, something I said back in November. I want to make sure if I, if I hurt you, if I wounded you, I apologize. I own that. Do that today. Number five, confess your sin out loud to another believer. The Bible tells us to confess our sin to God, but to confess to one another that we might be healed. There is a healing that happens when you confess that you are a sinner to other believers. When you say, I'm not perfect, I've fallen short, I was filled with pride, filled with lust, filled with anger. I was selfish. I was mean. I was rude. I was inconsiderate to my children or to my wife. When you confess that out loud, there's a healing and a freedom that happens. And let me tell you, those of you who are in small groups, the best place to do that is in the context of your small group, right? Like, I don't mean, like, grab a random person on the way out of church today and be like, hey, you listen up, right? (laughs) That's not the the invitation. What's the invitation? I'm, I'm in relationship with these people. And it's not that every small group meeting needs to be like a litany of all your sins from the week. But if your small group has never heard you say, I'm a sinner, I've fallen short, and I need God's grace in my life, then you're missing out on the healing that God offers you. I want to encourage you to confess your sins to one another that you might be healed. Number six, choose to show up for worship when you don't feel like it. Worship is the ultimate act of humbling ourselves, right? It's saying, God is great, I am not. God is glorious, I am not. God is exalted and sovereign, and I am not. Every time we gather in this room, every time we get together, every time we tune in online, every time we lean in with worship, it is an act of humbling ourselves. And yet, let's just say this out loud and confess it. There's times we just don't feel like it. There's times we're tired and we want to sleep in. There's times there's a great game and we want to watch it on TV. There's times the night before was late or work's been stressful. There's times we don't want to lean in. We don't feel like it. And I want to encourage you to be the type of person who worships, not based on how you feel like it that morning, but rather that you would lean in with what God is doing here. I just know over the last couple of years, things have gotten so choppy with being on campus or outside or online and all the different things. And so it's been easy to fall out of rhythm and pattern. I want to encourage you to make 2022 the year where church once again becomes a priority in your life. It is the first thing on the calendar. You're going to gather with God's people. You're going to lean in with worship because it is a way every Sunday of us coming together as a people, not just as an individual, but as a group of people and humbling ourselves before the Lord and watching what God does when we humble ourselves because God shows his favor to the humble. Number seven, would you consider forgiving someone who wounded you? Forgiving someone who wounded you. I just think for some of you as you go into 2022, something that's holding you back is a wound someone gave you last year or two years ago, or five, or 10, or 20, or 50 years ago. 
and you've been holding on to that wound and it's been festering and harming you and hurting you and you can't wake up a single morning without thinking about that thing. And the only antidote to that wound is forgiveness. Now listen, we've talked about forgiveness before. Forgiveness is not forgetting. Forgiveness is not pretending it was no big deal and shrugging it off. Forgiveness isn't even the same as reconciliation. You may forgive someone and never get back in relationship with them. But to forgive is to choose to lay down that interior right we think we have for revenge and vengeance to get back at the person who hurt us. It is to lay that down. And when we do, we heal that wound. You may ask, how is that humbling myself? What does that have to do with the sermon? I'll tell you everything. When we step into the seat of thinking, I'm going to get vengeance on them. I'm going to judge them. I am going to bring the hammer of justice down on this person for what they did to me. Do you know whose shoes we're stepping into? God's shoes. God gets to have vengeance. God gets to repay. God gets to do that, not us. And every time I won't forgive, every time I'm angry at someone who's wounded me, and I want them to suffer as much as I've suffered or more, I am stepping into the shoes that only God gets to fill. But when I, when I forgive, just as Christ forgave me, I am humbling myself. And I am convinced that there are so many people, what's holding you back in your spiritual life is the unforgiveness, the bitterness, and the anger you hold towards someone who wounded you. And I'm not saying it wasn't bad. I'm not saying it wasn't painful. I'm not saying it wasn't traumatic. I'm not saying it wasn't unbelievably hard to go through. I'm just saying the only way forward in life is to walk down the road of forgiveness because it'll set you free. You humble yourself and God raises you up. You humble yourself and God shows his favor. Number eight, uh, for those of you uh, at work, listen to the feedback you're getting at work. Uh, I just know uh, in the business or in the realm of, of work and companies and all the different things we do, if you're in leadership, you're a part of a team, it's really easy anytime someone has feedback for you. Anytime someone has something they want to say, to immediately put up the walls of defensiveness. Because you've heard it before and you know what you're doing and you don't need this customer or this client or this employee or this boss's feedback. But what if instead going into 2022, you said, listen, I'm just going to make this the year where I listen well to people. I don't have to agree with them. I don't have to do what they tell me to do. I don't have to even consent to what they're trying to get me or my business to do. But I'm going to listen to people. I'm going to be the type of individual who doesn't just constantly throw up the walls of defensiveness anytime I'm criticized. I want to listen to feedback that I'm getting at work. Number nine, let me encourage some of you to fast once a month for 24 hours. I'm giving you a real simple challenge of fasting. I believe fasting is the most underutilized tool in the spiritual toolbox of the Western church. We just do not use it. We don't lean into it. Fasting is abstaining from food for spiritual purposes. We fast from food in a way that says, God, I'm going to humble myself. I need you more than food. And there is a mystery to fasting that I cannot explain to you with words but you can only experience when you do it. One of the best and easiest ways if you've never fasted before is to do a 24-hour fast, to eat dinner one night and then to not eat until the next night, to make a 24-hour fast where you just be before the Lord in prayer and in worship, seeking him and being sensitive to his spirit. If you have never tried fasting, I just believe that might be the key for some of you. As you humble yourself in 2022, would you consider fasting uh, once a month for 24 hours? And then finally, um, number 10, uh, is this, would you serve up to sign, or sign up, well, uh, to serve in a ministry here at this church? Uh, I just believe one of the ways we humble ourselves is we get outside of ourselves and serve someone else. It can be children's ministry, it could be our parking lot ministry, our fresh, me- or our free, our fresh market, it, it could be you serving with special abilities. There's a million ways you can serve. 
But one of the ways we serve is we submit ourselves to a ministry, to leadership, to a protocol. In some circumstances, fingerprints and background checks when we work with children. We submit ourselves to that, and in so doing, we humble ourselves and say, my life, my gifts, my talents, my ability, my schedule is not my own. It was bought with a price. God owns it, and I'm going to serve him with this. Again, humbling yourself is not an emotion you feel. It's a decision you make. It's an action you do. It's something you choose to put into practice. And I named these 10 things. Maybe one of these things is hitting you. And you're going, that's it. I need to do that this year. And I just want to urge you today, don't harden your heart toward what the Holy Spirit is saying toward you. But rather, humble yourself before the Lord. And watch what happens when he raises you up. See, here's how that verse, where it says, humble yourself, concludes. The verse concludes in verse 6 this way. It says, humble yourself, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he might lift you up in due time. We talked about breakthrough coming this year. In 2022, for yourself or your family or our church or this nation, that only comes when we humble ourselves. If you want to move forward in your spiritual life, if you know you need God's blessing and his favor over your family, this is something God promises to you. But he promises this to you on the condition that you would humble yourself under God's mighty hand, that he might lift you up, that he might lift your family up, your children up, that he might lift our church up, Like, let's just believe that this is a year where our church, Calvary Community Church, humbles ourselves and God raises us up for gospel ministry in this world. And then does anyone in this world just not think of our nation as a people? If we would humble ourselves before the Lord, that he might raise us up. Like, this is what we want. We want to experience the favor and the blessing of God in our life, and it doesn't happen randomly. I'll say that again for someone. The favor and blessing of God in your life does not happen randomly. It happens when you humble yourself. And the reason it happens when you humble yourself is because God is blessing those who are being formed into the image and the likeness of Jesus. But let me show you what that image and likeness of Jesus looks like in Philippians 2, a famous passage. Some of you know it well. Philippians chapter 2 and verse 5 says, In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in the very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in the appearance of a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Jesus Christ himself humbled himself. And then what happens, verse 9? Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every other name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Jesus Christ, the holy Son of God in this world, humbles himself to obedience to death, even death on a cross. And what does God do? He raises him up. He exalts him. If we want to live in love like Jesus, we'll do the same. The living and loving like Jesus always includes humbling ourselves. That's what it means for us. So here's the question going into this next year for Calvary Community Church, for our people here as we live in love like Jesus. Where specifically do you need to humble yourself as we begin a new year? Now, if your answer is, I do, I need to try to be a little more humble and a little less puffed up. You've missed the point of the sermon. Please rewind. You failed the class, okay? (laughs) Humility is not something we feel. It is not an emotion. It is an action. It is a decision to humble ourselves. Where specifically, where do you need to confess your need for God, your need for other people? Where do you need to confess that you need assistance, that you're not strong, you're not self-sufficient, and you don't have it all together? Because I think what stands between you and the favor and blessing of God over your life, your family, our church, our world, is us humbling ourselves and admitting that we need God 
and we need other people. We're gonna close out the service singing a song um, that some of you will recognize. It was written years ago um, by a worship leader who used to be on staff here at the church, Brenton Brown. And the song is called Humble King. Uh, we sang this years ago, and some of you might remember it, but let me show you the lyrics, the, 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 the chorus to Humble King. It says, you are the God of the broken, the friend of the weak. You wash the feet of the weary and embrace the ones in need. I want to be like you, Jesus, to have this heart in me. You are the God of the humble. You are the humble king. We're going to close singing this song about this humble King Jesus, the one who humbled himself. That he's the God of the humble, meaning his people are the type of people who are humble. That he's the God of the broken and the friend of the weak. Like when I confess I'm not strong enough, not good enough, I'm not sufficient enough, I actually need other people and I need God's grace and I need his favor and I need his wisdom. When I confess that, that's when God steps in and does his best work in our life. I want to encourage you. I want to plead with you. Uh, if anything struck you today, if you're just going, that's me, I needed to hear that, to not harden your heart, but rather to humble yourself before the Lord and say, God, I want to humble myself that in due time you might raise me up. I want your favor and your blessing in my life. God, would you bring it to me in 2022? My hope for every single one of you is in some way or another, in this year, you would humble yourself. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thanks for this morning and thanks for your word. I'm just so aware. Um, of all the things standing in between myself and humbling myself. All the ways I want to be strong and proud and self-sufficient and put together and competent. And yet, God, I'm so aware that I need you and I need other people in my life. And so, God, help me to not walk in arrogance and pride, but rather to humble myself. God, tomorrow morning, Monday, when I wake up, God, help clothe me with humility. Help me humble myself. And God, I pray I would experience your favor and your blessing. And I pray the same prayer over every person listening today in this room, online. I pray they would know your favor, your blessing, your goodness, your mercy, your grace in 2022 over their lives, over their family, over this church, over our nation, over our world. God, I pray we would be a people who humble ourselves because your son Jesus is the humble king. Help us, God, to be like Jesus, to live in love like him. We pray in Christ's name and all God's people said, Amen.